We have been in a season of seeking revival, as you've heard for many weeks now, and we will continue in that season because it is a season. You plant seeds, you water seeds, and in due time, there's a harvest. And so we are coming together regularly, and we are seeing what does it mean to experience revival? Well, Father's Day is a great day to take us another step closer to revival. Uh, I was youth pastor uh, at the beginning of my ministry career. I surrendered the ministry early. Uh, started as a volunteer at Emanuel Baptist Church in Enid, Oklahoma. The youth pastor there came here to PCBC, and Cammy and I had just gotten married. We were at OBU, and he asked us to come on staff, and uh, we joined the staff here at PCBC. Is at another location, and as honeymooners, as newlyweds, we started our ministry, and now I get to be back as pastor. When we were there at the old building, just starting out young, that's when I first became a father. Now, I remember the joy of finding out the news that I was going to be a daddy. As a matter of fact, our firstborn is here with some of my other kiddos. And uh, that's, that's one of the greatest joys in, in, in life, apart from a relationship with Christ, your, your, your bride, and then being a father. And as awesome as that joy is that you have when you become a parent, even more, the, the, the greater joy is having a heavenly father. The relationship with the one who created us for his glory and for his purposes. And I want us to dig in on this Father's Day and discover what it means to be in the presence of the Father, not just one day a year, but every day. Psalm 16, verse 11, we looked at it last week or the last couple weeks, and we were reminded that God shows us where joy is to be found. In his presence is the fullness of joy. Too many Christians today are only experiencing church at best. Their spirituality is one day a week, uh, maybe a couple weeks a month. Uh, they engage and they show up for church, and that's their Christianity. And that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a day-after-day -day walk with the Father. It's much bigger than religion. It's bigger than a religious experience. It is a daily relationship with God. And we are reminded that we can only find joy in this life, not at the next party, not at the next possession that we acquire, but we find joy in the presence of our Heavenly Father. And so on this Father's Day, I want us to dig in and find that joy. I want us to discover if we're ever going to experience revival, it will only happen as we spend every day in His presence. Now think about this for a little bit, those dads that stood up earlier, dads in the room, what do we want from our kids? As you become a parent, this is true for moms and dads, we want our children to be good kids. We want them to respect us and respect others. We want them to be obedient. They, they need to do their chores. Can I get an amen from mom and dad, right? We want them, we want them to be obedient. We want them to learn uh, how to be productive people. We want them to be hardworking. We don't want them to be lazy and just hanging out on a screen all day. We also want to make sure that there is a day they're off the payroll. Can I get an amen from some current parents, right? Uh, they don't need to be on the payroll the rest of their lives, right? There needs to be a day they become independent and fly the nest. Those are things that parents want to see happen in their children's life. But can I tell you this? The older I get, the more I realize uh, the most we want from our kids, more than anything else, is just their face, their time. Uh, when you get older, you'll realize that more and more. You'll realize the importance of that. 
that we need just their time. Uh, look at this chart, a typical lifespan. If you are blessed to live the average age, it's 70. A lot in America may live longer than that. This is an average uh, worldwide. 70 years of age. Let's just take it to 70. A lot are living way past that. They tell us that you will spend 23 of those 70 years doing nothing but sleeping. Now, if you've grown up in a Baptist church, add a few more hours for the Sunday mornings. You slept through the sermons, right? Yours a little bit more than that. 32.9%. Work, 16 years. Media, either on TV or some form of media, social media, probably more than this now. That, that has grown over the years. This a little bit of older study. At least eight years of your life will be given to nothing but a screen. Eating, six years. Again, if you're Baptist, round that up to 10 years. Travel, six years. Leisure, four and a half years. Illness, four years. Dressing, just getting ready for your day and putting on clothes, two years. And then your spirituality. The amount of time that you invest in your spiritual person is less than 1%. Seven-tenths of 1% of the time you spend on this planet, on average for the average human being, is given to God. Do you see anything wrong with that picture? Do you see a challenge with how we are living our lives and the way we spend our days? I'm thankful for Father's Day, and I love looking forward to Father's Day because I know I'm going to get my kids out of guilt. they got to be here. But I wish every day was still Father's Day. I wish I could spend every day with my kids. I can't. I get that. But you know what? How much more does your heavenly Father desire time with you? As much as we want it, as much as we need it, parents, you get it, even more so our Heavenly Father. And yet we do what our kids do, what I did as kids to my, we get busy in our work, we get busy in our own lives, and we spend less and less time with our parents the older we get. And that seems to be true sometimes for Christians, that the longer we walk with the Lord, the less we walk with the Lord. That doesn't seem right. And on this Father's Day, I want to take you through Scripture, and I want to challenge you that I believe Father's Day should be every day. That's not just because I'm prejudiced and I'm a father. I'm talking about the Father. That every single day we live, we should recognize it as Father's Day. Well, take a look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It says this, As many as received him, this is speaking of salvation, uh, relationship with Jesus. It doesn't say as many who knew about him, as many who talked about him, as many who worshiped him on a Sunday morning. It says as many as received him. That's speaking of a day in your life where you come to a point and realize I can't save myself. I'm separated from a holy God because I'm not holy. And my only way to have a relationship with God is through Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. The only way to God is through him. And so I receive him into my life. I surrender to him and say, Lord, be Lord of me. And at that moment, look at what it says happens. When you receive him, to those people, he gives the right to become the children of God. This isn't a religion. This isn't a Baptist thing. It's a family thing. It's having a heavenly father because we are his children. I can only be a child of God, not by joining a church, but by being the church, his uh, child, through birth. How did my children become my children? Mom and dad got together. Mom and dad started a family. Boom, we got kids. It took a mom and a dad. How do you become a child of God in the family of God? You have to have a heavenly 
father. It is a birth issue. Look at what he says in verse 13. Just like you were born physically, he says, in this case, to be a child of God, you were not born of blood or flesh. Matter of fact, as he's speaking to these people, they thought they were right with God because they were from the seed of Abraham, a promise that was made to Abraham. They didn't understand that was a faith thing, not a flesh thing. And so because they were fleshly related to Abraham, they thought they were the children of God. And Jesus says, no, that's not true. That is not right. John is revealing here that the only way you can be a part of the family of God is to have a heavenly father. So let me ask you a smack question I used to ask on the basketball court. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Now, you know, or I hope you may know, some don't even know who their earthly father is, but who is your spiritual daddy? Those who receive Christ, they become a child of God. They now have a heavenly father. And if you are a child of God, that changes everything. That doesn't just change where you'll spend eternity. That changes your life today. When you receive Christ, you now have a heavenly father. If you have a heavenly father, you're now a child of God. If you're a child of God, listen to this. You're now a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Live like it. Understand who you are. If you're a child of God, the Bible says you're a joint heir with Christ. If you're a child of God, the Bible says you have a new nature. If, the, if you are a child of God, the Bible says you've been given everything for life and godliness. If you are a child of God and have a heavenly father, the Bible says you have a future and a hope. If you are a child of God, the Bible says you've been made to be more than a conqueror. That means you'll never be conquered. You will always have victory in Christ. If you are a child of God, the Bible says you now have direct access to your father's throne. Back in the day, there used to be uh, in the home, a, a dad may have his own office, and maybe some of you have an office at home, and, and as dads would be in there working, the children were not allowed to come in. That's where daddy worked. Well, the Bible says you have direct access to where your daddy works. The throne of God, right there where he is ruling and reigning all of creation on his throne. The Bible says if you're his child and he is your heavenly father, you get to come play, not play, but pray and experience his presence as he reigns on his throne. But here's the sad thing. Most children of God today who have a heavenly father spend zero or about less than 1% of their time where their daddy's at work sitting on the throne. They spend very little time in his presence. They might spend a lot of time in church. They might spend a lot of time doing things for God, but we spend very little time with God. God forgive us. You see, I believe Father's Day should be every day. And Jesus had to expose that not to the lost sinner, but to the most religious people on the planet. I want you to see it. Because it's very easy to grow up in the right location, but not have the right relationship. Take a look at it. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Take a look. When we get to John chapter 8, Jesus has to confront an audience, maybe similar, not quite like this. I pray it's different here than it was there. But they certainly were religious people. They had done their time at church, the synagogue, if you will. He was talking to Pharisees. Verse 21 says, he said to them again, again, these thems are the Pharisees. These were the expert, most religious people in town. These were known as the experts of the law. And he's talking to these 
Pharisees, these very religious, fundamental people. And he's about to show them that they aren't who they think they are. You see, in that day, they had their own denominations like we do today, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, and on and on, Presbyterian, Episcopal. We have our labels. They had their labels. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. There were all kinds of sects, broken divisions of their people. They were all religious in their own way with their own viewpoints. But the Pharisees, what made them unique, several things in their theology, but even in their name. The word Pharisee means separate one. They love to brag and wear the title, we're not like other people. We're more godly. We're more religious. We have separated from the world. And they had done that in their religious disciplines. They were very religious. They thought they were honoring God. They thought they were walking with God, but they didn't have a heavenly father. Jesus is going to try to show them, yes, you're going to live up to your name. Yes, you are separate ones, but here it is. You're not separate from the world. You're separate from the heavenly father. Your religion isn't bringing you to the Father. It is separating you from the Father. What does that mean? Well, let's look. He said to them, I go away and you will seek me. You will die in your sin for where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. They're assuming this guy's suicidal. That he's going to spend eternity in hell. That he is uh, so delusional and therefore they're going to heaven but he's not no they had it backwards they weren't going to heaven they didn't have a heavenly father look at what he says i go away and you will seek me look at it again verse 21 and you will die in your sin jesus was not talking to who we would perceive and label sinners He was talking to those who didn't have a heavenly father. That can happen even in the church. You can be sitting in a place where the word of God is preached and still be trapped in your sin. That was true in that day. It can be true in this day. And Jesus said to them, here's the problem, guys. You can do all this religious stuff. You can be trying to earn your way to heaven and think that because you're from the seed of Abraham, you're fine, but you're going to die in your sin. Is there a problem with that? Well, of course there's a problem with that. Look at this. Verse 23. He goes on to say, For you are from below, and I am from above. And when you first read that, you go, Wow, that's some harsh language. Jesus just said, You're from the pit of hell. That isn't what he said. That isn't what he's saying. Now, that will become a reality if they die in their sin. They will spend eternity separated from God, not because God didn't love them, but because they didn't have a heavenly Father. And so they will spend eternity somewhere else, even deeper than here. But what this is talking about, in the Greek, it literally means a lower plane. What Jesus was saying here, I can prove it. Watch what he says. You're from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. What Jesus was saying is, you are natural. You're in the natural realm. You have a mother, you have a father, you've been born, you have a first birthday, and you are natural. You're in this realm that is called life. It has a beginning and it has an end. And he said, but I'm not of this world. What was Jesus saying? I'm no human, I'm God in the flesh. I'm from a higher plane, the kingdom of God. I left that plane, I came down to this plane to pay for the sins of this plane. 
And he said, as long as you only have a natural life, when you die, you die in your sin. That's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because in heaven, there is no sin. And if I die in my sin, what would I be taking? I would be corrupting the holy kingdom and his holy presence. So it isn't because God wants to send me to hell or anyone to hell. It's because we choose not to have a heavenly father. And if I have no father, I don't have his forgiveness. I die in my sin. I have to be separated from him because there is no sin in the presence of God. Do you see the problem? They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen. They think, you got the wrong audience, Jesus. We're religious. We do all these things for God. Well, that's where we get Matthew 7. Where Jesus said, you can do all these things trying to work your way to heaven. And they said, we did this. We did this in your name. We cast out demons. We did all these things. These were very religious people. And Jesus says to them, you're going to be separated from me because I never knew you. So many of us are investing trying to work our way to heaven, doing things for God, proving we love God, or trying to earn his love. And all God wants is a relationship with you as his child. It's that simple. And yet we make it so complicated, just like the Pharisees. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We all are like the Pharisees when we're born in this world. We're born in this realm. We take on a natural life. And then as we live this life, because we have this sinful nature, we choose sin, and now we're in sin separated from God. But God so loved you and me, he sent his son from a higher plane to this plane. He came into this earth so that he might take on the penalty of your sin so that when you die, you don't have to die in sin, you can die in Jesus. And when I die, I will die covered in the blood of Jesus not because I joined a church, not because I'm a preacher, but because I surrendered my life to Christ and I, am, I received him and now I am a child of God. I'm not a child of sin or this realm. I have a second birthday. I have been born again. I don't only have an earthly father, I have a heavenly father. What about you? So Jesus goes on to point out to him. look at this, go on to verse 25. So they were saying to him, who are you? I didn't read that right. That's how you read it. You read it, so they said to him, who are you? As if they're trying to figure it out. Now, they knew who he was. They knew where he'd been born. They knew he was the son of a carpenter. They'd watched him grow up. They knew who he was. But here's how this reads. After they heard him say these things and say, you're going to die in your sin, here's what they said. Who do you think you are? In other words, they wanted nothing to do with his authority. They wanted nothing to do with his word. They were fine just like they were. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, who is it for God to say how I can be saved? Who is it for God to determine how I get to heaven? I'm going to determine. My good's going to outweigh my bad. That's going to be good enough. Who is God to declare the way to heaven? Verse 26. But it isn't just about going to heaven. It's deeper than that. Jesus wasn't trying to talk him into heaven. Neither am I today. I'm not trying to talk a single soul into heaven. I'm trying to talk every soul to the Father. Let me show you the difference. Take a look at it. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the very beginning? It's in the first time Jesus has tried to break through their hard hearts. 
This isn't the first time he hadn't brought them truth, but they're still not listening. Maybe you've grown up in church, but haven't listened. Maybe the gospel, you've heard it over and over again. Preacher, I've heard it all. I get it. So would they. Verse 26. He says, but I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I have heard from him, these I speak to the world. And look at verse 27. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. As I look back over these 30 some odd years that I've been in ministry, what I have watched happen in the church in America is we've talked to you more about heaven than we have the Father. We have talked to you about how you can be saved from your sin. We should. We should bear that news. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. But notice what Jesus was speaking to the lost about. It wasn't about someday going to heaven. He wanted them to connect with the heavenly Father. He spoke to them about the Father. We get to go to heaven and be with our Father because we're his children. But if we never experience him as our Father we'll never see heaven either unfortunately there are too many people wanting to go to heaven but want nothing to do with the father less than one percent of our life given to spiritual things god forgive us for acting like a pharisee he was pointing them to the father he was trying to get them to see that they needed a spiritual daddy they looked to abraham they looked to their flesh and blood history physical natural man not supernatural man messiah the son of god so jesus said to them verse 28 when you lift up the son of man then you will know that i'm he He was speaking of his own cross that he would take his crucifixion he said and i do nothing on my own initiative but i speak these things as the father taught me and he who sent me is with me he is not he has not left me alone for i always do the things that are pleasing to him and as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. I want us to learn very quickly, before we go out to celebrate our earthly fathers, let's look at what it means to really experience Father's Day every day. Jesus is our example. Take a look. The very first thing is found in verse 26. Here's how every day can be Father's Day. Here's how you can find joy in life. It's by being in the presence of your father. Jesus spent every day, not just trying to save people, he spent every day with his father. First thing, look at it, verse 26, he listened. In that relationship he had with the father, he listened to his voice. It says, these things which I heard from my father, from him, these I speak to the world. And the very first thing Jesus declares is I have a relationship with my father. He speaks to me and I speak his word. Many of us who have a relationship with God, unfortunately, instead of us saying, I listen to things I've heard from him, we make sure God is listening to us, don't we? If we think about our prayer lives, our prayer lives can be monologues. We spend all of our time and we expect God to listen. God, you better listen to how upset I am. You better hear about how sorry my day's going. You better hear about the things I need you to do. And we have our list and we take it to God and we call it prayer. Jesus spent more time listening to the father oh he talked to the father he shared his heart 
Lord, if there's another way other than the cross, let there be another. He talked about things that were on his heart. He taught us to pray for our daily bread. He taught us how to speak to God in prayer. But he had a relationship with God where he listened to the Father as well. He knew that he needed the wisdom from the Father. He needed direction from his Father. And so he made every day Father's Day by being a listener, engaging in relationship with his Father. The older we get, the less time we spend talking to our parents, spending time with our parents, and even listening to our parents. May that not be true in the higher plane in our spiritual lives. Number one, Jesus listened to the Father. Number two, look at verse 28, he submitted to the Father. Take a look at what he said. He said, I do nothing of my own initiative. As we begin to become teenagers and we enter into that phase of life and as we grow, we have a tendency to want to be very independent, don't we? We want to do our own initiatives. Jesus said, that's not how I live. I have a heavenly father and the most important thing for me to have joy in life is to listen to his voice and then do what God directs, my father directs me to do. He found joy in that. He lived life according to his father and the relationship he had with the father. He listened and he submitted to the father. Number three, look at verse 29. Now, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He lived a life that was pleasing to the father. Not one day a year, not on Sundays, one day a week. Every day, Jesus listened, submitted, and pleased his father. That's how you have Father's Day every day. So how did Jesus do that? Did he just declare he did that? Let me show you the secret to every day being Father's Day. Go to verse 1 of chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 1. Go back a little ways to the beginning of the chapter, and you find the secret. You find the secret to joy. You see, Jesus understood what we saw in Psalm 16. What do we find in the presence of God? fullness of joy and so that's where jesus lived his life he didn't live his life for god he lived his life with god did you hear what i just said we're so busy living our lives for god but we're spending very little time living life with god look at john chapter 8 verse 1 but jesus went to the mount of olives verse 2 and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and he began to teach them now, as you read earlier, before he would get to the story that we just read with the Pharisees, we find early in the morning he's at the temple and he's working for the Father. He's doing his ministry, but maybe you missed verse 1. Before we get to verse 2, there's always verse 1. What do we find in verse 1? It says he went up to the Mount of Olives. What's the significance of that? You see, that's the place where Jesus met with the Father. That's where he daily would go. Whenever he was in that region, and if it was somewhere else, he'd find another spot. But this was the spot where he listened to the Father. Now, take a look at, at this verse 1 again, and, and don't miss it. In verse 2, we see that he was in the temple. When, when did he go to the temple? When did he start doing the work of God, the work for God? When does it say in verse 2? When? Early in the morning. Verse 1 then happened before verse 2. So when did he go to the Mount of Olives? Early, early in the morning. 
early than earlier, earlier than I ever see most days. Any morning people in the room? Confess. We pray for you. We pray for you. Jesus, very first thing, before he went to go do work for God, the very first thing, and he got up early, the very first thing he did is he went to the Mount of Olives and he spent time with God. We can get trapped like the Pharisees trying to be good people doing good things and miss out on the best things. We can be so busy. We spend 99.3% of our life doing everything but that. You see the problem? Do you understand why we're not having revival? you understand why there's not joy in the experience? It isn't God's fault. It's our fault. And we need to learn from Jesus what it means to experience the presence of the Father. Go to Luke 22, verse 39. What I'm going to do very quickly, and then I'll let you out for Father's Day, I promise. We won't stay here till Mother's Day. Look at it. Verse 39. Jesus came out and proceeded as was his custom. Where did he proceed to? The Mount of Olives. The disciples were also fallen. When he arrived at that place, he said, pray with me and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As was his custom, he went to spend time with his father. And he taught the disciples the importance of this more than he discipled them in the importance of this. Yeah, they did a lot of stuff for God. Yeah, they were called to be fishers of men. But before they went fishing for men, they spent time with the Father. And Jesus modeled that, and Jesus taught that, and he lived it. He lived it so much. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scriptures that you can write down. I want you to see this reality. It says it was his custom, his habit. Here's some verses. You don't have to turn to them. They're going to pop up on the screen, but I want you to write them down. Maybe look at them later. I want you to see what was recorded about the life and times of Jesus. Uh, we could talk about the feeding of the loaves and the fishes. We could talk about uh, the healing of the blind man. We could talk about raising Lazarus from the dead. He did a lot of ministry. He touched a lot of lives. But listen to these verses and see if you see a common thread. My theory is this. If we could adopt Jesus' custom, we could find joy in revival. If we would live like Jesus lived, and it would be different than the lifespan of our 70 years, we could experience the joy of the Lord. Look at it, Luke 6, 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to what? Pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. Go a few more chapters, Luke 9, 28. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter, James, and John. He went up on the mountain to what? Snow ski. To take a view of the beautiful creation around him. No, he went up to the mountain to pray. Luke 11, 1, just two chapters later. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. They saw in Jesus what they didn't have, and they came to realize what it was, is they didn't know how to spend time in God's presence. Before, they wanted Jesus to teach them how to make a difference in the world. But pretty soon, they realized the only way I make a difference in this world is I have to have a different day. And I need time with the Father. Lord, teach me. Teach me how to go into his presence. Teach me how to pray. We don't have revival because we don't live like Jesus. We don't have revival because we don't have relationship 
with the heavenly Father's presence. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it goes on. Then early in the morning, while it was still dark. Did you know that there is morning time and it can still be dark outside? Did you know this? They tell me this is true. I read about it in Scripture. And Jesus got up, left the house, and he went to go heal the sick. Is that what it says? Now, before he went there, he went to a secluded place, and he was found praying there. Mark 6, 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of Bethesda. And while he himself was sending the crowd away, whoa, 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 he's sending the crowd away? These people had come to Jesus. They had needs. They needed his help. And he sent them away? And after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was still there alone. Yes, not alone. He didn't have other people. He had the presence of the Father. In his presence, we find the fullness of joy. In the presence of the Father, my heavenly Father, when I dedicate time just with him and nothing else, then like Jesus, listen to this, when I'm in his presence, I can hear his voice. I can listen like Jesus did. And when I let God speak to me, I don't just go running to him because I need him to bail me out of some problem or do something for me. I go just to relate. I want to be with my heavenly father. Then I start to receive the fullness of joy. I get to hear his word. He speaks into my life. He direct, he's my shepherd. He's guiding and directing me. I can listen in his presence. In his presence, I can submit to his will for my life. I can know what it is. He speaks it in my life. And I can say, Lord, I, I want to do your will, not mine. I submit to him in his presence. And in his presence, God then, through that relationship, guides me into the fullness of joy. Why is there so little joy in the church today? Because we lack the presence of our Father. It isn't because we lack salvation. We're saved. But we're not living like Jesus did in his presence. Jesus said, if you'll live in my presence, you'll hear my voice. If you live in my presence, you'll know my will, and you can follow it. But you have to be in his presence. So I close with this verse. You've got to see it. You want to be blessed? You want to have a blessed life? Don't listen to the marketers on social media. Don't listen to what TV or Hollywood is telling you. You want to have a blessed life? Let me show you the blessed life. It's found in Psalm 21 in verse 6. Psalm 21, verse 6. For you, God, make him most blessed forever. You make us blessed, Father. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. You see, the blessed life is not a life that gets more stuff from God. Actually, the blessed life is the life that blesses the Father. Did you hear what I just said? You see, we think the blessed life is what we get. But what I tell you is this. The blessed life is the one who spends time in the presence of the Father. Do you have a heavenly Father? If you do, praise God. But what good is a heavenly Father if you spend no time in his presence? If we only spend less than 1% of our life pursuing his presence... There's no wonder we're not having a blessed life.